Hey everybody. Thanks for coming back. Welcome to the County Cast. It is November 17th, 2020, week three of trying this out, seeing what sticks, seeing what doesn't. My name is Mark Rose. I'm back. I'm your host with The Least. This week we have a in-depth, really good conversation with current Picton counselor, Kate McNaughton. We had a really good chat. Uh, I told her I'd only take up about 30 minutes of her time and it ended up being closer to 90 minutes. So we're going to get to that. Before we do, I have one thumbs up and one thumbs down to give out. Wow, what a dramatic baseline. Done for effect, I guess. Um, anyways, thumbs up, thumbs down. I remember as a kid, I had a subscription. I didn't pay for it. Must have been, I think probably my grandmother paid for a subscription to the hockey news for me uh, as a gift. But one of the things I remember enjoying about that particular publication was a thumbs up and thumbs down little corner they did every week uh, in the paper. So I thought, hey, good opportunity to reprise something quick and easy like that uh, here when I don't want to do the work and put in too much time writing too much. So uh, anyways, thumbs down, going to start with a thumbs down. And this, you know, isn't specific to, I guess, Prince Edward County, but to the broader Quinty region, uh, thumbs down to Richard Cornier and his team at Signal Brewery for their parties over the prior weekend. And thumbs down to you if you're one of the donkeys that went to them. Look, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution in this collective battle with COVID. And it's really frustrating to see that kind of garbage, selfish behavior. Understand businesses uh, have to run. They have to operate. That's, again, man, I, I should just call this podcast. That's a whole other podcast because that really is, um, you know, I know that there's opinions and takes on both sides of that thing. But um yeah, guys, the sooner we are smarter about all of this, the sooner it's going to be over. I don't know about you, but I'd like to go back to a little bit of normal. I would like to go back to maybe just being annoyed at the grocery store versus annoyed and terrified at the grocery store. Uh, it's just, you know, we got to be smarter and we got to start making better decisions about things. And, and a lot of that starts with starting to accept that maybe some of our behavior and some of the things that we do that we think are essential are really just about consumption. So let's tighten it up a little bit. Tighten it up. Tighten it up. Thumbs up, though. Big thumbs up to talk about a roundabout being put in at the intersection of County Road 1 and Highway 62. You know you are hosting or recording a small town podcast when you start talking about the roads and the intersections and solutions to, to fix them. But roundabouts are by far the safest option each and every time. I'm sorry if you are not used to them, if you can't deal with looking left as you approach to see if there is a car or vehicle coming in your direction. If there is, that means stop. You've dealt with yield signs all your driving life, I'm willing to bet. All the roundabout is is one big perpetual yield sign. Just keep doing it and you'll get through safe, whichever exit you want to take. If you're not used to it, I'm sorry, your minor inconvenience and your slight learning curve are worth saving uh, one more serious accident at that uh, high traffic intersection. I've personally witnessed an accident there uh, probably 15 years ago, but it wasn't pretty. Um, and you know, it's it's got to be, I don't know the stats, but I've, it's got to be 
probably the busiest intersection in Prince Edward County, right? In the summer, uh, outside of Picton, um, you know, it doesn't really get any busier than that. And the fact that it's only a two-way stop right now, accidents every year, flirting with disaster, let's get that done sooner rather than later. Roundabouts are the way to go. So contrary to the first two episodes and I guess the first five minutes of this podcast, I do want the focus of this thing to, well, to be on other people, people far more interesting with far more intelligent things to say than, than me and with a lot more to offer. My first guest on the show is current councillor Kate McNaughton, who led the vote in the Picton Ward in the last municipal election in 2018. Uh, a political rookie at the time, Kate outknocked, out hustled, and well, flat out beat the five other competitors uh, in that race, one of which was, well, me. She, along with Phil St. Jean, were elected to their first terms of council in 2018. Kate was kind enough to take time out of her very hectic schedule to talk about life as a counselor, but also life before she threw her hat in the political ring. I will say up front that she was extremely patient and very understanding as I worked through the technological kinks uh, in the recording process of our conversation. So that was greatly appreciated. Hope you enjoy your chat. Councillor Kate McNaughton is gracious enough to join me for a chat. Kate, thanks for coming on. I know uh, how busy you are, uh, so I do greatly appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, that's my pleasure. It's always, uh, I'm always happy to do something um, uh, with a former competitor. <laughs> yes, ad, ad, <laughs> I guess adversary turned, uh, 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 well, I don't know. You're certainly a worthy I don't adversary. know. We kind of became friends while we were, you know, competing, uh, you know, Supposed to be developing an adversarial relationship, but I leave that for the old guys. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I certainly, I certainly didn't get into politics or venture into it to uh, to to get into more feuds and to become more no. stressed with more people. So I, I'm with you there. Right. How, it's how not about doing? ego trips and yeah, stuff like that. E exactly. So how are you winning doing? and losing? It's about moving us forward together. Yeah, I agree. How are you doing? How do you find you and yours in uh, November 2020? Oh, you know, <laughs> it's a roller coaster ride. So it's a roller coaster ride with with the state of our world right now. And it's a roller coaster ride with um, my work as a counselor and elected representative in Prince Edward. Um, it's always sort of, uh, it's never boring. No. <laughs> so I'll give it that. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot to worry about in the world right now. And there's a lot to worry about in... You know, we're all worrying about family members right now, and especially with the with the sort of COVID news in Ontario, and yeah. watching watching numbers climb, and thinking like, you know, do I need to go get my mom and bring her here? And you know, there's lots to think about. Right? How? And would... I'm sorry. Go just, ahead. Yeah, and I'm you know I'm not the only one. We all we're all worrying about you know people people in our lives and. We've all got uh, various burdens to carry, and I, I comparably feel very, very lucky because you know, I I have a safe home, I I have a, you know, some stability, and uh, and I'm, and I've got a cute kid who, <laughs> who I live with most of the time, who 
so you know i think about people who live alone right now and and i think this is a rotten time to live alone and anyway i feel really lucky i can concur with that point um yeah i I, I can concur you know i'm I'm certainly a person that values uh my i guess alone time but uh once it's forced upon you in any kind of way it becomes a little bit uh onerous but your, your, your point of bringing up perspective is good because I've actually used perspective as kind of a coping mechanism during this because, like you said, you know, it's easy to kind of get that tunnel vision and, you know, think insular and think that, you know, this is my problem and I'm the only one in this when in reality, obviously, it's the it's the complete opposite of that. So I think that's uh, certainly something that's helped me stay a little bit more sane is just keeping that perspective and knowing, you know, I do have a roof over my head. There's, there's some food in my fridge and I'm a lot more fortunate than, than others. And we're all together in this. Yeah. That's sort of, I, I, I kind of get through some of the more bleak moments by thinking about how we can make a difference for each other. You know, even just going to the grocery store and being nice instead of being jerky or right. going to, <laughs> you know, walking down the street and smiling and waving at someone who you kind of recognize or, yeah. Those little things I think can make a big difference in people's lives. I know they make a big mine. So those but, tiny, like tiny, like blinks of a moment where you can make a connection with someone else. It's like a, you know, as a gift to them or, or a gift to yourself, I think is mm. really important. Well, you need those blinks now. And I think a lot of people need those blinks now more than ever. Right. Um, oh yeah. How has, how, how has COVID changed? I guess the day to day of your, I guess, personal life. And then, also your role as a counselor, and I guess a three-part question, I guess, uh, how has it affected how municipal government works in general? So, okay, so starting out with with how it's affected. So it's funny, I'm, uh, this is, I'm a bit of a hermit by nature. I am not a particularly public person by nature. And uh, I, and for Lent, now I'm not, I'm not a theist. I'm not a religious person in any way, shape or form. I'm pretty much the opposite, but I always do Lent every year. I don't know why started doing it years ago. And this year I gave up making excuses to not go out, you know, get invited somewhere. And I'd be like at the last minute, I'd be like <laughs> longing for my pajamas instead of going out in the world. And I'd make an excuse and be like, you know, I'm just really tired and I can't come. And and I gave up doing that for Lent and then COVID hit and it, and it was like, wow, this whole thing plays into my natural state of being, which right. I might as well, you know, just find a cave and live in it at some point. But um, so it, it sort of, um, and, I, and I push myself to be out in the world so that I don't go too far into the hole. Mm. But that, so COVID kind of took away <laughs> took away my ability to keep stretching my my public self right a little bit more and my social self so which is not great not not ideal but uh so it has made what it has done is it has put all of my work in the realm of my kitchen and everything I do like everybody else is now done uh in the kitchen or if they're you know some people are lucky and have a really great home office but my home office is covered in you know glue sticks and (laughs) pieces of cut up cardboard and and acrylic paints and my kid and so everything happens in the kitchen and the kitchen it just stays constantly messy all the time because it's kind of like 
we're both here all the time, just making horrible messes. And, um, and so on top of trying to get crank out all the meals and, and trying to stay on top of the horrible messes. And uh, I'm also trying to do my work and it's a pretty, it's been sort of constant since a couple of weeks after, after lockdown. And it, it doesn't feel like there've been a lot of opportunities to come up for air. And it's just this sort of constant domestic juggling of Mm. um, uh, where work has invaded my kitchen. So, but it's, it's, it's manageable, but I've had to let some things go as far as like having a civilized house to live in. It's pretty much a disaster <laughs> zone all the time. Right. Um, it's, it's hard not to go out and um, sort of uh, get things done a little quicker because you're standing in a, you know, a group of a few people and you just can solve problems a lot faster. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder now for council wise. Hmm. Um, I think that extends to probably everyone in every business or every organization where, where, uh, you know, at one point you can very informally walk into someone's office and just get her done. Now you've got to plan it, um, send the zoom invite (laughs) and uh, it all becomes a little more structured and a little less fluid. You were elected in 2018. How long have you been in the county? And tell us a little bit about uh, your life kind of before you came to the county. So, okay. I came to the county about a decade ago. Um, and we lived in Hallowell on uh, like just a little acreage. And um, before that, I lived before that we lived in Montreal and before that we lived in Toronto and before that Montreal I've just kind of ping-ponged back and forth on the 401 my whole life between Montreal and Toronto and you ended up in the middle and I ended up in the middle and actually it's because it's in the middle that we ended up here we started coming here I guess in around 2001 maybe I think it was 2001 and just kind of got to meet a couple of people around here and, and uh, sort of, you know, kind of started getting connected and it became our long-term plan to move here. Uh, and we would regularly come for visits. And then um, uh, when my daughter was just a, a toddler, I just kind of stepped up the plan and said, okay, let's go now. So that she could sort of settle in before school began and it's been the easiest move I've ever made in my life. It was so easy. It was such a great fit. It was like an instant thing. And I thought it was a honeymoon that period that would end. And it just never did. I'm still experiencing <laughs> the same honeymoon period almost a decade later. Oh, that's cool. So, What's um, yeah. other than the proximity and, you know, geographically splitting the difference between Toronto and Montreal, what, uh, what were some of your first impressions? Some of the first things that kind of impressed you or stuck out, I guess, whether it was, you know, a piece of geography or land somewhere or um, somebody or a certain conversation, what, uh, what was part of the appeal or the pull? Well, you've nailed a couple of them, actually. Uh, the first time I came here was with my mother-in-law and we went for, we did a charity bike ride and uh, we, so we did a 60K ride around and 
as we were riding from town to Sandbanks to another town back to town um, in a great big circle. It was just so, um, such a beautiful place. So, and, and it's not, you know, it, it doesn't sort of have the same um, sort of lushness as the landscapes I'm used to sort of, you know, in the areas around Quebec. I spent a lot of time in the Eastern townships growing up mm. in, in Southern Quebec. And I spent a little bit of time in the Laurentians and spent some time sort of north of Toronto and some very pretty rolling hills. This was a little more uh, arid and a little more, um, I wouldn't say rugged, but a little more just really humble and beautiful and uh, just good land. So um, I, I was very, I was stunned actually at how one beautiful it was. Um, not a hard stretch. I think most nope. people are. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, I just connected with a couple of people and had just had a nice opportunity to sort of meet a couple of people. Um, one of them I was interviewing for, for something and, and, uh, and just kind of started meeting a lot of like-minded people whenever we would be here. Um, we would have an opportunity and we would only ever be here for a day or two at a time because we couldn't afford anything else. Mm. Um, we we just always had really good luck and met people that we clicked with really well and had some great experiences just ending up and sitting on people's porches for, you know, drinks or um, and realized that, you know, there are people here who sort of want to work on the same things we want to and it was it was quite um it was uh it was an instant click in a couple of cases so and people who are, are still you know connected to my life now so um oh, that's great yeah and that's you know 15 16 years later um so it was you know it's been a little bit of it it's felt very Kismatic, yeah, all the way along. If I can make that into a word, why not? Yeah, well, it feels like it was very like like. Well, I'll make it into a different word too. Like organic, right? Like it just happened. yeah, truly. Yeah, it happened naturally, and I guess uh, in a lot of ways in life, some of the best things always do. Were you? Um, yeah. Were you politically uh, involved, or maybe just from an a activism side of things in in your so, life prior to Prince Edward County? <laughs> kind of more like a frustrated activist because I, from the, I guess I started reading the paper when, you know, when you're a kid, you start reading the paper when it's on the table in front of you. I started reading the paper and uh, as a kid and turned into quite a frustrated teenager. So that was the eighties and looking around the world, seeing how little, you know, looking at the obvious, you know, writing, read the globe every day or read the, whatever paper was around um, and, and see what scientists were telling us to do and seeing how little politicians were doing. So as a teenager, late, later in my teens, I started doing things like letter writing and um, trying to like some, trying to sort of take a stab at, at activism without really knowing how or or where best to focus my efforts. 
and I kind of never really saw my place in a political world as far as advocacy. And I didn't know the pathways forward. And I didn't know, I really didn't know how to participate in a way that I was comfortable with. And because um, uh, I didn't, at that age even, I didn't like um, party politics and I didn't like what I saw as tribalism. I had a, a very um, early lesson from a teacher in grade school actually, and I think it was grade five where I, I really learned to understand how tribalism affects how we vote and how we, um, and prevents how we can move forward in our thinking. And it was an experiment that a teacher did. And I talk about this a lot. And I think about this from time to time quite a bit. Um, a teacher did an experiment where she had us all, um, there was an election that year and she had us all vote in class. And, and there, you know, there were, sort of uh, pretty much everyone voted the way my neighborhood at that time tended to vote. And, um, and then she gave us all the issues without any labels attached, any party labels attached and said, so check off, check off these issues, how you feel about these issues. And then at the bottom, you know, pick party A, B or C. And mm. practically the entire class that had gone conservative and liberal in the first round picked, you know, option, option B or whatever it was, and it ended up being NDP. And then she, and then she, and she told us, you know, the results, party B is NDP and you all voted for it. Every single one of you <laughs> pretty much. Mm. And then mm. when it came time to, um, she, and then she redid the election again and said with that information, you know, let's return, you know, it wasn't the whole class that voted NDP. It was like, it, you know, but it was, it was quite different. Um, mm. And then she ran the vote again with the parties labeled. And most of the class still stuck to their original vote and still stuck to the party that um, that was uh, that their first choice had been. And mm. so but and they didn't have reasons. The reasons were that's, you know, who my parents are voting for. Yeah. So I, at that point, it kind of, it really struck me like, wow, people, <laughs> you can change, right. you can learn to think for yourselves. And maybe we don't. And what, what's that all about? And I still see that around me today. And I still think that party politics is um, built for adversarialness and not for constructive conversations. And, and that, that has been with me all along. And so I was always reluctant to get into a political world mm. in which I don't see uh, a constructive sense of collaboration. So I, so I did things with sort of small, very small scale things with, you know, organizations that were more grassroots. Um, I would, I would send letters to the government or, you know, smaller efforts or would, um, try to sort of a couple of times would organize letter writing campaigns back in the days of letters. Right. Um, and then again with email, you know, years later, but never, never really, um, you know, when, when you want change to happen, it's not always clear how to advocate for that change. And, 
I, you know, if I had, if I could go back in time and tell myself what to do, I'd probably tell myself to uh, go to law school and uh, advocate from that perspective, advocate mm -hmm. for the environment with legal defense or, or, you know, the two most thing, most important things that we have today uh, on our plate today, as far as how our systems are built are um, how to rebuild those systems to respond to environmental concerns and how to rebuild the systems to respond to concerns surrounding equity. And the, um, I think that the best way to do that is uh, through legal. So if, you know, right. you know, if it was a Peggy Sue got married kind of situation and I could go back in time and start all over again, which, you know, Thank goodness I can't because I'm just tired thinking about it. Um, it, it would be law school for sure. But right, yeah, they're still they're still working on the time machine. They're uh, still working. If, I know. If it was coming any year, though, I would anticipate it maybe being 2020. We could use that little bit of a little bit of a side in in, in the plus column. But um, <laughs> it's funny, you know, you're, you're you're preaching to the choir about tribal politics, and it's funny. I just put pen to paper last night in a rare you know, clear sense of thought that I had, I just had to get it out. It's, it's a frustrating time to take the tone that we do when it comes to politics, because never has it been more tribal, uh, right? It's, uh, I mean, we're having this conversation on the backdrop and the heels of the uh, United States election, which obviously was more than a week ago, but is not over and probably won't be over um, until January. So yeah, um, yeah a frustrating time to, um, but but thank goodness for people like you who understand that and you know to probably a lot of your own hesitation if you're anything like me in 2018 too and this kind of leads to my next question um you know did the same kind of things ultimately lead you to throw your hat into the ring for council uh here in 2018 yeah yeah well first municipal politics are where it's at as far as you know i think all other levels of political life could take a, a lesson from municipal politics because of the lack of tribalism, the lack of parties. I mean, it, but yeah, in 2018, I, I, well, we, we had been looking at councils in which there really wasn't a lot of diversity. And, right. and I find that lack of diversity at the table, lack of perspective, lack of range of perspective, uh, lack of representation for a, uh, a, a majority of the population um, troubling. Mm. So, uh, and when, so I started to try to organize people, mostly, you know, to understand what the electoral process was for municipalities and that local government might be something where um, they're, they could be of service. And, and, you know, at one point, Particularly, I was really particularly trying to hone in on women and young people. And, you know, at one point there, there was, I was in a room with a bunch of people and uh, a bunch of women and they, they don't have, they didn't have the same sort of innate sense uh, that they have something to offer. And yet they all did. And, and, you know, a former counselor, Bev Campbell was sitting in that room and she looked around at them and said, none of, you know, if y'all have imposter syndrome, just, I want you to hear this. Every single one of you 
has more to offer than most of my colleagues had or something to that effect. Mm. And so it was, you know, I, I don't think this applies to necessarily to millennial women and to the, you know, the generations that come after my generation, Gen X, where we had like all the promise of feminism and no tools to apply it. We were still, you know, expected to fit in a box in a certain way. You know, I, I think we, a lot of us just walk around with this chronic case of imposter syndrome. And we also have that sort of added sort of fear of public life that uh, and scrutiny and um, that uh, just is born of our culture. So, you know, none of them ran, not one of the women, very qualified, very interesting, dynamic, smart women ran. And that's why I ran because I just figured and I never would have. I, it's just not a comfortable fit necessarily for me. Um, but I figured, oh, hell, got to do it because I'm not going to look at a, at a big line of men. And if it, right. you know, and I'm great, you know, I'm happy I did because it would have probably been a big line of, you know, men, mostly all the same age ish <laughs> within a range of 20 years. <laughs> and, all right, well, okay. There's a bit more in there. Um, there's a 41 year old too. Um, and, uh, and Janice Maynard. So it would have been right. like the percentages would have been really bad. And we already don't have anyone represented representing on council. We've never had, you know, people with lived experience of living in poverty or lived experience of, you know, living as a gay person in Prince Edward County. Like we don't, we don't have those voices and those voices are critical at the table to bring a diverse, um, a diverse point of view and also to speak to the experiences of people who, who could be better represented. You know, we've got, mm -hmm. we've got very high water rates. Well, there are people living in poverty here whose water gets shut off sometimes. You know, I know kids at PECI who, who, who go to school really dirty because their water got cut off and that shouldn't mm -hmm. happen. And, but without people advocating for those people, it's just a bunch of guys counting, counting change and making sure yeah. that the roads get done and we could do better. <laughs> yes. And, and that's, uh, again, as one of your constituents and, and now, and I guess one of uh, a former adversary, <laughs> uh, a friendly one, uh, a friendly one, uh, I, I agree. And, and other than, you know, um, the clothes we wear, I guess, uh, exactly the same. Um, you know, one of the reasons I was motivated as well was because I thought, you know, just as a council, as a collective group, that group could could just think way bigger as a start instead of, like you said, just counting the beans and and fixing the potholes on the roads every Friday. Right. I think there's uh, it's way too important a time to have a passive council. So it really uh, is. Yeah, I certainly agree. I certainly yeah. agree. No, and uh, there, there is, the, you know, a reticence to look at sort of um, public, long-term public investment, like a long-term invested look at uh, how we can, um, how we can build out into the future with more imagination. And I think it's that, and actually I was talking to one of, I was talking is not the word, complaining is the word i'm well known for my ability to complain it's like a superpower 
Um, I was complaining to another counselor today about uh, a reticence to invest in the future because uh, of a narrow status quo oriented purview or a sense mm-hmm. of our purview, because I believe our purview can be what, what our community wants the purview to be. And sometimes communities want to be inspired and want to see building for the future. And you know, there was a great article, there was a great letter to the editor in the paper about working on creating relationships with the universities to develop satellites, um, which is something that mm-hmm. I've had on my dream list for you know seven or eight years. Um, was to um, work with the, you know, work with Guelph U and work with both in, you know, veterinary and in agriculture and try to um, try to create some internship programs here or some satellite, like try to use the talent that we've got here to do some real world hands-on education on sustainability, like sustainability in agriculture or, you know, agro marketing, or, you know, we've got so much talent here. Um, Alternative building styles. There's lots that we, you know, could conceivably make connections with, with, with colleges and universities. And that would, you know, maybe give something to the young people here so that they wouldn't have to go away or, or perhaps even attract other young people who might end up, you know, starting families here. Now there's a housing component that's missing. Um, mm. But it it's not, it's not that far fetched, but I, I don't necessarily, but sometimes you need a forward thinking, you know, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily that necessarily saying that's the idea, but there are lots of good ideas out there like that. And you can right. set goals and for the future and work towards those goals even though you might not be on council, you know, there, there tends to be this sense that, oh, well, if it's not achievable in four years, let's not do it. Well, we, we need to have goals that, that surpass the electoral cycle. We need to have goals that, that are very long-term because if we don't look long-term, we don't, we don't invest in our communities in a long-term way. If we don't look long-term, we don't solve our community's problems like climate change. Um, Even the little piece of that puzzle that we can, you know, fit in. Um, it, this is these are long term goals, and you know, just recently we had a skating report um, regarding what the EAC's long term goals are, uh, which was pretty much instructing us as the environmental advisory committee to go back and make short term goals. So, you know that that's yeah. something to. Um, that's you know that's that's a battle of that i i don't think is something that uh i think that right now we're dealing with a a culture that is in that mindset of local government makes roads um let's support the roads Mm -hmm. so i think Mm -hmm. you know i think electoral um evolution is is really going to be um, something that I'm going to focus on starting in early 2021 and develop some of the competition so that we've got some more, mm. I'm going to just give it another stab and see if there are some more diverse people out there who want to run against us. Cause maybe our time's done. Right. Maybe there's some millennials out there who want to give it a go. Maybe there, 
you know, I'd sure as hell love to see more women. So I, you know, that's where I put, those are the, um, those are what my goals have evolved into. Cause I, I don't think I'm going to be seeing, you know, any, a ton of support to, uh, start looking for seed money to, um, to, uh, get a cannery in Prince Edward County to support our agri agriculture sector or, you know, some of my, some of my dreams and some of the right. people's dreams who write into us, you know, I, I think that's, um, you know, the future. <laughs> I think that's something, something right. that'll wait for a couple of years. Right. And you mentioned, um, I was going to ask you, but I asked you kind of off air or offline, whatever you want to call it. It's not radio, so I shouldn't say off air, but, um, you know, what the biggest challenge was, and, and you mentioned uh, climate change. It's the one thing that kind of keeps you up at, uh, at night more than anything else, right? Have you, and you mentioned the Environmental uh, Advisory Committee. What strides have you seen, I guess, in your first two years with council at the midterm point? Have you seen strides to the positive taken in that respect from the county's point no, of view? No, I've seen baby steps. So the Environmental Advisory Committee got off to a late start and then a rocky start, and it's still being kind of put through the ringer. So I, you know, it was something that was promised by a number of people campaigning that uh, that the environment was going to be on their agenda, including, and, and yet I still had to like bully it into existence, which, you know, is not, which is. Doesn't seem like your style. It, well, no, it's becoming my style. <laughs> right. A lot of things are becoming my style. So, well, you have to adapt what's in 2020, that? right? Adapt. You have to no, adapt No, no, it's not 2020. 2020 is an interesting year, uh, but no, it's it's just pure counsel. Um, anyway, all in good fun. And you know what? It's good to stretch. Right. You'll learn as you go. And <laughs> there's a whole new world out there, you know, and the, the personal challenges have actually been really good in that sense. And boy, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm, um, boy, I sure am louder than I thought. Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's the environmental, the environment is one, one thing in which, you know, we have to, all credit where it's due. I've seen, I have seen, I have seen strides in the way some of us on council are thinking about it. So, you know, I was already there and a couple of us were kind of already there and the others were, I didn't know where they were and, and they seem to be coming along really credibly um, as far as being more aware and being more um, available and willing to think about matters about uh, particularly adaptation to climate change. But, but mm. the, and so that evolution is happening, but it's very slow and it lacks at this point, we're still not at the point where people are sort of put willing to put resources in. So, and so I, you know, once again, kind of that, that will come. Um, but it's, but it really just, when I extend that to other levels of government where, you know, you've got science for 30 years telling you, well, we can't keep doing things like that, this, and government bodies, you know, slaves to tribalism and slaves to the electoral cycle. When, when I, 
take what happens it, with my crew at Shar Hall and, and sort of try to layer that ethos at other levels of government, it, it makes me, uh, it, I find it hard to hang on to hope because change happens so very slowly. And that status quo bias is really, really painfully there and add in tribalism on top of it. And you've got a real losing combination. So, um, mm. so movement happens. It just happens very, it just creeps. So, um, right. but you know, like some of them, it's really, it's really just, it's such joy when, when I get to hear someone speak about, um, speak about a matter sort of connect that's connected to climate or connected to the environment or connected to like just recently I heard one of my colleagues, he, he wrote into something. I, I actually asked him if, if, if someone else had collaborated on it with him and he said, why? And I was like, well, cause the language you use and he, you know, this is not climate, but he'd written, he'd used the phrase anti-racism anti in, in a resolution. And it just was such a treasure to, to see um, a really committed, strong language used in, um, in a resolution from someone who I, I think of as being comparably sort of um, uh, very cautious might be the word. I don't know what the word is. Right. Anyway, Understood. Understood. it was really inspiring. Yeah. It was I great. And I think his, his well, take on uh, it was, yeah. oh, stop being so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, maybe those are the kind of those, those little micro wins that you take, right? To kind of chip away at the iceberg and, um, you, you know, get to where we really need to, to get at. We're almost done. I did want to, one of the reasons I wanted you to come on this week was, um, I saw during the uh, fallout of the U.S. election, you had retweeted something from Kamala Harris, and she is obviously the vice president-elect uh, in the United States. Uh, I wanted the message to get out, you know, that that is important. But I thought, you know, as you've talked about, you don't people don't need another white man telling them the importance of, you know, that happening. So I wanted to just get your thoughts on what that means to you, uh, Kamala Harris being the vice president-elect. Oh, well, it's a ton. It means a couple of things. So first off, um, it it means straight away that they're so the whole election is is means a lot of, of things. That there are still seventy million people willing to vote for a, a guy who just isn't isn't fundamentally acceptable on any level to most of the world who is who who is racist and sexist and uh essentially you know uh would be klepto emperor the fact that anyone would be willing to vote for such a piece of crap uh is shocking to me still and i find it galling and if i were uh, an american woman <laughs> i i don't i think i'd be you know, looking to looking to find a new country because that's depressing. Um, it, and I understand why families have been falling apart over this because if you know, if I had you know, I've watched my my own 
mother evolve from a person who voted in a tribal fashion back to that tribalism to to a person who voted uh, who would canvas her kids and check and ask about issues it's so interesting mm. to me the the evolution she's gone through um if but if she were you know if we were in the states and she was voting for trump i don't even know how i'd be able to look at her because mm. uh because he why would you vote for someone who was a of fundamental offense to family members because of oh, hello um, hello lost yeah yep You're, you there can you, hear, can you hear me yeah okay yeah you just cut out there for a second ah uh, okay start why, again you, you left it off at uh where why would you vote for and then uh, you kind of left us to fill it in ourselves okay. <laughs> like why would you vote did i was it like why would you vote for anyway i'll figure it out so yeah so why you know the fact that so many people are willing to vote for such for such a boor is um would would have me like seriously signing signing my immigration papers for some other country right anyway but maybe it's the same all over maybe half of every country are prefer mean and cruel you know we look at, around the world and see that meanness is contagious you know that's throughout you know examples we've always seen that um, meanness can can spread like a disease we saw it in what used to be yugoslavia and we've seen it in you know the middle east in a, a number of countries where where there was a relative extraordinary peace and um and culture and and then hate breeds itself so, so there's that aspect to it, but then there's, and there's the aspect that, you know, uh, Kamala Harris wasn't the front run, uh, wasn't running for president. Mm. It's gotta be a white guy that, that has that sort of typical face of um, benevolent, benevolent paternal trust. And that, that pisses me off that we can't move past that and see someone as extraordinarily qualified as Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris, who are both more qualified than Joe Biden um step into that role that they need to be second string however that said watching kamala harris it knocked my socks off and watching all the amazing women who were part of this election who who stepped up in this election and and took those risks and ran and uh, just knock my socks off and some of the really extraordinary wins that we've seen with a uh, uh, really um, some very eloquent women of color who can really speak to that experience are really inspiring to me. Um, and, and just give me shivers just thinking about it. And who are some uh, of those? Na name them. Oh, now you're putting me on the spot to remember names. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, damn. So, but a lot of them, like a lot of the members of the squad and a lot of the, and that woman who, Oh my God, what is her name? Well, I'll buy some time. Well, like the, the person that I've been most impressed with, and, and I, I have been since she's came on the scene, is is AOC, right? Like, um, oh yeah. And, and I know take in, no prisoners. In in watching her documentary on Netflix, I mean, it was a really illuminating piece of film for me because it it dawned on me, and I don't know whether you've seen that, but uh, it, it dawned on me that that is in if you vote a vote for AOC and then seeing what she did afterwards, like 
with the votes for people and just the, the things that she does and the causes that she champions, that is what you are expecting to get when you vote for a politician. You expect to get AOC. Um, unfortunately, too that often, kind of, and, and, and especially down there, what you usually get is The kind of candor that she exhibits. What's that? Mark, I'm losing you. Okay, just hold on. It might come back. Yeah. Yeah, because go maybe step back too, because I want to hear what you were saying. Okay, is it working now? Yeah, it sounds good. Where did so you where lose were me? you? Uh, you were just starting to talk about AOC and how she typifies. Well, you had met, yeah, yeah. So the AOC point um, in watching that documentary on Netflix, like what struck me was that that is exactly what you hope to get for when you vote for a politician in any election, I would say in in any level, you know, you're hoping for this, some, for this person who, you know, is a go-getter and going to be proactive and, you know, take no prisoners and take the bull by the horns, any other cliche that, that comes to mind. And unfortunately, I think what you get in most of the times when you cast a vote anywhere is, is, you know, the standard, the antithesis of that, you know, something that she, and it sounds like, you know, somebody in the mold of yourself is trying to break and, and, uh, you know, trying to bring politics to a more engaging, just just to be better at it. And, and that's the thing. Like, she just relates to so many people. And I think that that's just such a huge thing nowadays. I agree. Well, what I take from her, what I learned from her is that candor that she has, you know, and I on council, one of the first messages we got when we moved into uh, our roles was, um, only one person speaks for counsel and, you know, as you and I have spoken about and, you know, if you've got a media request, run it through a media person. And it's sort of like, well, that's not my job. That's not who I work for. I don't work for the corporation of the County of Prince Edward. And I don't work as you and I have discussed, and I don't work for, um, and I don't work for counsel per se. I work for you. I work for the citizens of Prince Edward County and I'm responsible to them and should bloody well do a better job of being candid and communicating directly to them. And I don't do a good enough job. Um, and I, and I, you know, when I, when my daughter, it, you know, will sit there and watch like at my 12 year old will sit and watch videos of um, uh, Alexandre, Alexandro Ocasio-Cortez, you know, um, doing a Facebook live and speaking directly to people or doing or, or playing video games online with people mm-hmm. or, um, you know, really, really owning the conversation with, with what, what Nora might refer my daughter might refer to as a corporate devil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you see her, example of candor and strength and courage it it's nothing but inspiring and the inspiration that she's offered my 12 year old who right now at at her her age is sort of retreating from confidence uh is something i'm terribly grateful for and that whole crew and there was just oh my god i can't remember her, her name there was one woman who was just elected in in a very multicultural neighbor neighborhood in a city in the States. And it, her, it's all, all the details are eluding me. She stood up and her acceptance speech was a, what pretty much centered around uh, her uh, love for her community 
and and you could just feel it like she was truly connected and truly in love with her community and loved her um her the people who she was responsible responsible to and i just think like that is what we all should be if we're representing members of the public we need to have that same level of love and we need to have that same level of um trust in them that we can be candid because because we're we're their creature and and that's our entire job is is to uh, to the best of our ability and to the highest possible um ethical standard to to do the best we can for them and mm-hmm. and you know like where i fail is um is communicating better and communicating more frequently and quite frankly that's just time management you know i can barely get my kitchen clean at the end of the day but let alone go on and do a facebook live but i take the lesson that there we've got these amazing tools to connect directly and we should every single one of us should be um finding the best way at our fingertips of communicating with people and hearing from people and um trying to uh, generate more engagement. Well, I will say that, yeah, and I will say that, you know, you and Phil St. Jean uh, here in Picton have done a good job of that, uh, I I think, from the constituent standpoint. Uh, You know, just in things like town halls, things like that, you you guys have both been proactive uh, in in that aspect. And even, again, to hark back to 2018, that was a big, uh, that was a big thing. I think we heard at a lot of doors, right, is they, I think, the electorate as a whole wanted a bit more transparent council. Oh yeah. And deserve it. Every Absolutely. Yeah, yeah for hundred yeah. percent. And we're still, you know, not nearly transparent enough. And town halls are a great way to do it. And you know, aren't we lucky that we've got these tools that make it a little bit more possible right now? Yeah. So but then there's the whole, you know, um, once again time management thing. <laughs> or we would do right. a lot more of them a lot. Like I, I think I, when we set out, I wanted to do one at the very least every six months. Mm. So, um, or whatever, you know, whatever time would allow beyond that even. Right. Where we are is, you know, whenever it's, you know, absolutely possible. It, it's hard. Right. So. Understood. And speak, speak of time, I've taken up way too much of yours uh, today. So. But I will say that, you know, since the first time I met you at the Wellington Arena during uh, the election season in 2018, every time I run into you or talk to you since, I'm reminded how optimistic and positive you are. And that uh, that I always come away feeling refreshed and taking a reminder that uh, myself, I need to be a little bit less pessimistic and a little less cynical. Uh, so thank goodness there are people like you involved, uh, especially right now in this moment we find ourselves in. Kate, thanks Mark, for, uh, that is so nice because I... That's really nice. Well, it, 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 it's true. And I think that we're lucky to lucky to have you here in, in this time and this place. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to chat a little bit today. That's my pleasure. And I'll, you know, I'll return the sentiment a little bit because, you know, what I found refreshing about you was that uh, one of the, th- at some point, one of the things you said to me during, while we were, while we were campaigning, which was, and once again, you know, we failed at being adversaries, really. Um, cause I, 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 you know, I found myself talking you up to a lot of constituents, uh, or, you know, not constituents at the time, but right. <laughs> members of the constituency, um, 
was uh, your refreshing take, which was, you know, environment was top of your list for one. And, mm -hmm. and also, you know, a couple of times you said, if, if I don't win, I really want it to be you or Stephanie Bell, because, you know, all we need is just another white guy telling mm -hmm. everybody else what to do. <laughs> and that I found really refreshing. Um, and you, and it was, you know, more than once you, um, you were advocating for space for more diversity. So, you know, I was hundred percent behind, behind that. Well, appreciate that. And that's just, again, I mean, lack of diversity has gotten us, you know, micro and macro where, where we are today. And uh, yeah. I don't think that that's, uh, I don't think that that's working. So uh, it's time to welcome a few different looking and few different sounding faces to the table. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, we'll leave it on that positive note and that awesome compliment. Thank you, Kate. Um, I really, I really do appreciate you taking the time today. I know how busy you are. So thank you very much. Anytime. Thanks, Kate. Okay. Take care. That's the show for today. Thanks for checking it out. And a big thank you to Kate McNaughton for just a really good chat, a really cool conversation. I really enjoyed that and took a lot from it. You know, Kate is somebody who is in this for the right reasons. And you spend any kind of time talking to her or getting, getting to know her at all, you start to understand that pretty quickly. So it was a real pleasure to talk to her today. Hey, if you want to get in on the conversation, maybe you have a topic that really grinds your gears, or even if you just want to say, oh my God, that's the best podcast I've ever heard. Well, you can do that. You can do that all on the internet. My email here is thecountycast at gmail.com. Not sure people send emails just to say hey anymore because we have things like Twitter and we have things like Facebook and you know other things that eat away at us, but we continue at anyway. You can find the county cast at Twitter, or sorry, on Twitter at let's try that again. The county cast is on Twitter at the county cast. We are on Facebook. You can find us there by searching the county cast. Like, subscribe, follow, whatever you're supposed to do. I'm going to be really mad about it all. I do very much appreciate your patronage and time, though. Thank you very much. I hope to make this something very good and worthwhile eventually. We'll get there. And hey, until we do, we'll see you down the road somewhere, all right?